Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Visit us soon at our new State College location. This is the Blue White Breakdown, the premier podcast for all things Penn State football. Talk about culture. It's something that should show up in every aspect of your program. It's the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. Hey guys, it's Bob Flounders back with yet another edition of the Blue White Breakdown podcast, Penn Live's Penn State football podcast, and I am thrilled to welcome in a special guest this week, Doug Lamarice, a former Harrisburg Patriot News intern who is now the man at Cleveland.com. He is a columnist. He covers Ohio State football. I know all you guys are familiar with Doug's work, and if you're not, please check it out. He is a podcasting madman, uh, the Buckeye Talk podcast, and his, uh, his own, I think it's his own creation that started last year, the College Football Survivor podcast that's also featured prominently uh, not only on Cleveland, Cleveland.com, but I think nationally as well. Doug, thanks so much for joining us this week. How goes the podcasting for you, my man? Oh, I just finished another one. I always say, Bob, <laughs> writing is hard, talking is easy. So I'm always happy to talk college football. We just, and I, I will plug the College Football Survivor Show because we, we talk about sort of things in and around the college football playoff year round, my co-host Shahan and I. And we just finished a pod that'll be up this week. It'll be available on penlive.com. We always put that in there. Hey, give people a reminder in the Penn State feed. We did, if you broke off a top tier of college football and let them live by sort of their own set of rules, we came up with the 36 teams that would be (laughs) in that top tier. So, you know, Penn State fans, that affects you guys. Who makes that top tier? Who would Penn State be playing you know, against for a national championship if Penn State makes a top tier. So anyway, we try to go around the country. You've been on that show. We had you on to talk Penn State, but we're still growing the Survivor Show. So I'm mostly happy to be here to talk with you, Bob, but I'm also happy to plug that pod. So thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, it, it's a great pod. And Doug, I mean, I think it's a, you guys, like everyone else, it's a little bit of foreshadowing because you just don't know how the college football world is going to kind of look in five to 10 years, and it could be a very different world. People are kind of figuring it out uh, as it kind of goes. The NIL challenge is is very real for a lot of schools, and it's all about trying to keep up with the big boys, and Ohio State is clearly one of the big boys. Penn State is not, no matter what you know. some of the older Penn State fan, fans think. I wanted to talk about Ohio State, Penn State, but also – not only the series, but kind of the, the direction of the programs, Doug. And I just, one of the things I wanted to start to start with you about is, you know, Penn State has finally, for the first time in the James Franklin era, uh, gotten a five-star quarterback on campus. He's from Ohio, Drew Aller, and uh, he's, he's kind of trying to fight his way up the depth chart. It doesn't look like he's going to be playing a prominent role in the fall with Sean Clifford back for his sixth season, but... You know, I just you just check and it seems like every year or every I don't know, every season of the calendar year, Ohio State is adding some kind of phenomenal five star talent. And the most recent one is another quarterback, a five star quarterback. And I just think it's hilarious. I'm a Nebraska fan growing up. And this Riola kid is, is really a Nebraska legacy. 
His dad played center at Nebraska on some very good Nebraska teams. His uncle is the Nebraska offensive line coach. And I think he played in Arizona. He's going to go to Ohio State. And he is just the latest five-star talent at that position to play for Ohio State. When when did, in your mind, when did this kind of the origins of this five-star quarterback dominance kind of take root at Ohio State? Was there a player that, that, that Ohio State was able to get? Or was it, was it a strategic move by the coaching staff? But it seems like once the floodgates opened, and obviously winning goes with that, but Doug, they're, they're, it's almost like a shopping list. Whenever they want a five-star quarterback, they get one. Yeah, they are, they are picking more than recruiting at quarterback right now. They really are. And it's just Ryan Day. It is Ryan Day. It is that when Ryan Day came in as the offensive coordinator for the 2017 season, I can remember Ohio State got shut out against Clemson in the national semifinal, Deshaun Watson, 31-0, and we stood on the field, my colleagues and I, and did a video that night. We were like, this offensive staff can't return. We knew that Ed Warner and Tim Beck as play callers, I was I grilled Tim Beck in the postgame locker room about like, what? You can't be back, right? It's one of my favorite <laughs> things is like, you're going to get fired, right? That's my professional way of asking a question. There's no way they can keep you, is there? So we did that for 15 minutes. And then we went on the field. It was like, hey, this is not going to work. What are they going to do? And that was at a time when Ohio State had Greg Schiano as a defensive coordinator who had been a, an Urban Meyer friend, who had been much higher on the football food chain, and now was a coordinator at Ohio State. And Chip Kelly had just gotten fired. And we were like, ah, oh, Chip Kelly. That's another Urban Meyer connection. Maybe Chip Kelly can take a year to come be Ohio State's offensive coordinator. And instead, it was Chip Kelly's protege who nobody had ever heard of. Ryan Day was just another anonymous college slash NFL quarterbacks coach. But Chip Kelly was his coach in high school. It was his offensive coordinator at the University of New Hampshire. Absolutely, that's his mentor. And Ryan Day showed up and changed everything about Ohio State offense. So he was Urban Meyer's offensive coordinator for two years. The last year of JT Barrett, the one year of Dwayne Haskins. And of course, he took over for Urban Meyer. And so it's Ryan Day. They just went from the Urban Meyer dual threat, Tim Tebow, JT Barrett, Braxton Miller kind of quarterback to NFL quarterbacks. And the key guy was Justin Fields to get Justin Fields as a transfer. But they had started, they're in Arizona and the Southwest right now because there's an opening there because the Pac-12 so down. So they got a commitment from a kid named Jack Miller who's from Arizona in 2018, in the summer of 2018, 18 months before he was going to enroll at Ohio State. And he was kind of the first guy. But then they got C.J. Stroud from California. They got Quinn Ewers out of Texas, who signed and then was here for a year and transferred out. Devin Brown is the guy that they replaced in that Quinn Ewers class. Devin Brown's a true freshman now. He's from Arizona and Utah. And now Dylan Raiola, who played at Texas the first two years of high school and now just moved to Arizona. So they are in the South and Southwest. It's not coincidental. Ohio State goes where there's weakness. They're not trying to get kids out of the South. They're not going head-to-head in SEC country, but there's a... There's great talent out there because, Bob, as we know, and t- you can interrupt me at any time and say, Doug! No, no, no. no. Penn fans need to hear this. I, I mean, I, I think they're, they're – how, how do they always get five-star quarterbacks? They need to know. So you need to it's, – it's once you develop that NFL reputation, which Ryan Day had and developed. And listen, would Ryan Day – if Ryan Day – and this is not to say that Ryan Day is the end-all, be-all of college football head coaches, but a Ryan Day type somebody who had some NFL experience, who was a quarterback's guru. I do think right now, if you think about quarterback 
gurus in quotes in college football. It really probably is Lincoln Riley and Ryan Day. I think the recruiting bears that out. Penn State could have one of those. Like that's that's not it's not inherent. What's what is it about Oklahoma? Why could Lincoln Riley do that at Oklahoma? He was the offensive coordinator. He's Carolina. He got hired by Oklahoma. He was a hot young coach. There's nothing inherent that Oklahoma has great quarterbacks. Ohio State has not had great quarterbacks. There's not a, something inherent. It could happen at a place at one of the 25 best programs. If you get the right quarterback guy, it can happen. But then you've got to take advantage of weakness. So in the South and Southwest, there's weakness there because Texas is down and because the Pac-12 teams are down. Ohio State has established a foothold and Nebraska really wanted this guy, as you said. They thought the legacy thing, but Ohio State over the years does a pretty good job with, and I'm going to say educated football parents in a way, not that they're educated in life, but they are educated about football. Football families. They have Teron Vincent there, who was a five-star recruit a couple years ago. His dad's Troy Vincent, who played for the Eagles and is the vice president of the, you know, Roger Goodell's right-hand man. That guy knows football. Ohio State does pretty well with those families. So Dominic Raiola, 14 years, I guess it is, in the NFL, all of it in Detroit helps. They're a Southwest family. They know the Midwest. They're not scared of snow. That helps. Ohio State knows that. They do a pretty good job, and in the end, yeah, I went to Nebraska, but I want my kid to get to the NFL, so I want to go to a coach who's going to develop him. That could happen. I thought it was going to happen at Michigan with Harbaugh and Ryan. When Harbaugh got there, when it was Stella Urban Meyer, I thought Michigan was going to be exactly what Ryan Day, Ohio State is now. Harbaugh's going to develop pro-style guys. Urban Meyer's still going to be chasing Tim Tebow and Alex Smith and JT Barrett and Braxton Miller, and Michigan might get the jump on Ohio State. Instead, Urban Meyer hired an NFL pro-style guy. Harbaugh never quite got there with the quarterback development, and here Ohio State is. It could happen at a place like Penn State. I'm not saying fire James Franklin, but everybody knows all the ADs and presidents want offensive head coaches. Whenever James Franklin leaves, whether it's in two years or 10 years, you better look at NFL offensive coordinators and NFL quarterbacks coaches. You don't have to hire one, but you better look because if you could hit on that, I think you can make any top 25 program a quarterback destination if kids think they're going to get to the league by going there. I think you make a great point uh, about about Ryan Day. And he, he probably looms as a key figure uh, in Ohio State history. Just just what what for all the reasons you just went into. And, and you know, I don't think I don't think many Ohio State fans knew who Ryan Day was before what the 2000 and. 18 season or 2017 season, whenever that was, never didn't even know he was. Doug, so you you mentioned the hook with Ryan Day. Penn State, you know, James Franklin may, might not be an offensive guru, but a lot of people thought that Mike Yersich would be an offensive guru and maybe his presence would help Penn State get some of those quarterback, those quarterbacks that they haven't been getting. He was an offensive coordinator. Uh, for one year at Ohio State when Justin Fields was there in 19. But it really sounds like it was really more about Ryan Day's presence at Ohio State than it was about Mike Yersich's presence at Ohio State. How do you? How did you view Mike Yersich? I know he was only there for a year, but they did go to the national semifinals, lost uh, a tough game to Clemson in a, in a really, really good game. How did you view him? What did you make of him? And do you think he can have an impact at Penn State? Hard to get a read on Mike Yersich at Ohio State. It's, it is here, too. It is here. 
Northeast Ohio guy. So when he got there, so I worked for Cleveland.com, we were like, oh, Northeast Ohio guy. Dove in on that feature story right away, right? <laughs> the hard thing is that we all know the story. Shippensburg to Oklahoma State, sort of, again, this offensive guru reputation. But when he got to Ohio State, you know, he was a primary play caller at Oklahoma State, and then he comes here and it's Ryan Day's show. Yeah. <laughs> and Ryan Day is still a hands-on quarterbacks guy. Ryan Day basically personally did everything to get Justin Fields to Ohio State. Justin Fields came to Ohio State to play for Ryan Day. He didn't come to play for Mike Yurcich. That's not an affront to anybody. That's the reality of how that went down. Ryan Day is still very hands-on. They replaced Mike Yurcich with Urban Meyer's son-in-law, who had never been a full-time assistant anywhere. When he replaced Mike Yurcich, it was a pure nepotism hire. I, I, I hate it. He did not have the resume to deserve that job. He's done well in recruiting. Ryan Day is the hands-on quarterbacks coach. So, But they hired Corey Dennis, who's Urban Meyer's son-in-law, and who was a, high, a college receiver at Georgia Tech. Had a good relationship with Dwayne Haskins when he was a staffer or whatever, but like he was going to go be the quarterbacks coach at Colorado State, and all of a sudden, Yurcich leaves, and he's the quarterbacks coach at Ohio State. Everybody else is fine with it. I've been freaked out about it for three years. I hate nepotism in college football. It's rampant. Brian Ferentz, everybody hires their kid. Oh, oh, the best offensive mind in college football just happens to be your son. What a coincidence. What <laughs> luck for the program. Of course your son's the best hire. I hate it. So it's not even Urban Ryan. It's not even Ryan Day's son. Urban Meyer didn't hire him. Ryan Day hired Urban Meyer's son-in-law. Anyway. <laughs> But that's who replaced Mike Yurcich. But we didn't get a handle on Yurcich. And I think there might have been a little bit of a grinding of the gears a little bit because Mike Yurcich had been the guy. He ran the offense at Oklahoma State. And then I think he didn't have that same sort of responsibility at Ohio State. So for us in one year, he seemed like a competent dude who got out on the recruiting trail and stuff, but we just did not get the Mike Yurcich experience. We did not see the best of Mike Yurcich because he didn't have the responsibility. So it feels like at Penn State, he has that responsibility. And I liked the hire when Ohio State did it from Oklahoma State, but he was too qualified to not call plays. So I liked the hire at Penn State, but, and not to get off track for a second here, Bob, and I don't want to like make everybody at Penn State say, well, yeah, that, that guy, Joe Moorhead is actually the guy that Penn State like should have kept at all costs. And it's one of those things. It, I'm not saying you fire James Franklin to make Joe Moorhead the head coach, but that is the difficult thing when your offensive guru is not the head coach because the offensive guru is going to be going to look for the opportunity to be in charge. And as we understand it, Ryan Day got offered the Mississippi State job and turned it down. And then Joe Moorhead took it. Oh. So Ohio State made Ryan Day a million-dollar offensive coordinator. And I think let him know, like, you're next up here. Like, just chill out a little bit. You're next up, and Urban might be done sooner than later. But here's a million bucks. He was their first million-dollar assistant coach. And so at some point, Penn State wasn't going to be able to keep Joe Moorhead without making him the head coach. But that's the difference with Lincoln Riley and Ryan Day. They aren't going anywhere because they're the boss. And everybody else, if your offensive guru is just your coordinator, he's eventually going to leave. And that is a tough spot to be in. And it's why everybody wants offensive guru head coaches. And Bob, let's just say James Franklin would have said, you know what? 
I'm just going to go back to Vanderbilt. I loved Nashville. That's my vibe. <laughs> Joe, yeah. I feel good about Joe Moorhead. Penn yeah. State's in good hands. Joe Moorhead's the new head coach. Would Penn State be better or worse right now? <laughs> and would, would their, what would their quarterback recruiting, quarterback development, offensive game plan, because then quarterback recruiting leads to receiver recruiting, would they be ahead? Now, maybe they're not as good of an overall team. There's a lot of CEO stuff. There's a lot of all kinds of things that go to be the head coach. Would they definitively be worse as a program? And then would they possibly be maybe significantly better when it comes to offensive skill? Yeah, I mean, look, he, his last year was 2017. In 2018, you know, James elevated Ricky Ronnie to be offensive coordinator. His, he'd never really been in that position, especially at that level. They lose four games. They lost five games in 2020. They lost six games uh, last year with Mike Yersich. So I think the answer might possibly be yes, especially because of maybe what Joe would have meant to the quarterback because it's, it's about the quarterback. It's like you said, and if you get the quarterback, then you start getting the receivers and then the running backs. And then, you know, all that stuff kind of falls in place. But, you know, they, they, you, look at the, you look at all the Ohio State-Penn State games and since James has been there. And, you know, usually the, the difference has been when Ohio State wins, it's been the play of the quarterback. It almost always is. And they're just not, they're just not able to be able to match. You think, you think about what JT Barrett did to Penn State in 2017 in the fourth quarter. You think about what Haskins did to Penn State's defense in the fourth quarter in 2018. You think about Justin Fields in 2020. I played a near-perfect game in State College, and even in the 19 game, he beat him with his legs. So it is the chess piece on the board that matters the most, and if you if you have an edge there, you're going to win 95% of your game. So I think I, I think you might be onto something there, Douglas. I'm not trying. I'm not trying to Why stir not? up stuff. Yeah, you are. But that's okay. I'm it's not, okay. I mean, a little it's bit. Not a, it's not a hot take. It is a deeply held, thoughtful opinion. What? No, I might be a hot take. Here's the other thing too. When Ohio State lost to Oregon last year, at least from our perspective, it was Ohio State. The number one reason Oregon won was Jim Moorhead. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It, they did. They didn't have a great quarterback. Their receivers. I mean, their running backs were fine. They didn't really have a number one receiver. Joe Moorhead dialed it up. He found the weakness in the Ohio State defense. They got to the edge because Ohio State's corners weren't playing the wide runs the right way. The blocking they did on the corners freed guys up three, four times. Ohio State couldn't defensively adjust. Joe Moorhead got Kerry Combs demoted because Kerry Combs was defensive coordinator. You got more headed, and we saw we'd seen that before. Ohio State had been more headed before, and that left for Mississippi State, and it's never been quite the same. So I'm, I like James Franklin. I think James Franklin's a good football coach. I've I've theorized many times. Oh, if James Franklin ever leaves, maybe Luke Fickle will be the next guy up at Penn State. Luke Fickle is a hard nosed, D'Antonio Trestle defensive guy. I think Luke Fickle is a great program builder and leader. But when Penn State has its next head coach opening, you better dance with the offensive gurus before you decide to go a different direction because that changed Ohio State like forever. If Ryan Day had taken the Mississippi State job, because they had terrible offensive coordinators in 2016, and they got shut out by Clemson. They shouldn't (laughs) have made the playoff. I said it then. I'll always say it. I was right. Penn State should have made the playoff ahead of Ohio State. I said it that year. This is wrong. I know Penn State had the second loss. 
I know they had the non-conference loss. This is wrong. They won head-to-head. They won the Big Ten Championship. And by the way, Penn State was better. It wasn't an upset in the end. Penn State in 2016 was better than Ohio State. They beat them because sometimes you beat a team and you're not better. They beat them and they were better. They were a better team. If Penn State keeps Joe Moorhead and Ryan Day leaves for Mississippi State and Urban Meyer hires another Tim Beck or Ed Warner, oh, Bob, who knows? Now, listen, Ohio State's been basically indestructible. They've never completely fallen off a cliff since Woody. They haven't. Ohio State wouldn't be terrible. But I'm telling you, man, in a world where you take Ryan Day away from Ohio State and you keep Joe Moorhead at Penn State, I don't know what that looks like right now. And I'm not sure that Penn State's not a slightly better program than Ohio State right now, given all the other things that are true that are advantages for Ohio State. Am I crazy? No Ryan Day. Joe Moorhead still at Penn State. (laughs) Come on. Justin Fields would have played for Penn State instead (laughs) of Ohio State. And what Justin Fields begat with this quarterback run would have been happening in State College instead of Columbus. This is going to be a great headline for this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) This is the Blue White Breakdown. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Have questions? Visit us at cureleaf.com or stop in to see us at any of our locations, including our new state college dispensary located at 1248 South Atherton Street. Let's talk medical marijuana and let our confidence become yours. I'm sure you've revisited this before, but maybe not to this extent, because now I finally teed you up here on the Blue White Breakdown podcast with Doug Lamarice of Cleveland.com, talking about the difference and what might have been the last six or seven years, a ripple in the pond involving Joe Moorhead and Ryan Day. I think he makes a lot of good points, and I don't disagree with them. But it's funny, you know, Doug, you know, everyone's looking at this Ohio State team coming into 2022. With those receivers, that running back, that quarterback, and everyone else, they might they might damn near average 50 points a game and make it look easy. But really, I, I just wonder, is the key to the season what, what Jim Knowles' impact is going to be on that defense when it comes to when they match up with teams who have the same kind of athletes on the offensive side of the ball? And I guess I'm talking about Alabama. What that guy's doing this spring and this fall and this August going to have a big impact on whether or not Ohio State wins a national championship. Yeah, we've been talking a lot about that. And we've kind of come to the conclusion that we don't think Ohio State needs to have a top five or top 10 defense. Probably need to have like a top 20 or 25 defense. They just can't be like in the 60s. They can't lose games because they can't stop the run. They can't lose games because they can't get to the quarterback. So Ohio State last year, it was a combination scheme problems and a talent dip from the crossover year from Urban Mario to Ryan Day. They also had some changeover in the defensive coaching staff where they had a guy in here for a year or two. The recruiting really fell off. And so they just weren't as skilled defensively as usual. There wasn't a Chase Young. There wasn't a Jeff Okuda. There wasn't a Ryan Chazier. There weren't the guys that you normally see at Ohio State. That is more true this year. They have two young defensive ends in JT Tumaloau and Jack Sawyer, who are both top 10 national recruits in the class of 2021. They're legit. They're going to play. They have some young corners that are legit that are going to play. But I do think, and as you said, Bob, it mostly applies to the playoff. I started a schedule breakdown for Ohio State 
going through their schedule. I just dropped the Notre Dame one on Wednesday because Notre Dame's their opener. I do think in the end, you know, you start to analyze stuff and you start to realize things. I do think Notre Dame's the most talented team that Notre Dame that Ohio State's going to play in the regular season. Michael Mayer, the Notre Dame tight end, is probably the best offensive player that Ohio State's going to play in the regular season. So the Jim the Jim Knowles defense getting tested, it really is about the playoff. And that's been the thing for Ohio State. There's a lot of things that can get you through against Minnesota and Indiana and Purdue and Rutgers and even Michigan State and Wisconsin, right? Stop the run. Okay. But then it's like, all right, well, here's Bryce Young. <laughs> here's Caleb Williams. Here's Tyler Van Dyke. Here's the guys you're going to play in the playoff. And that's what happened to them sometimes. It was like, oh, no, these guys are pretty good. And then it's like, oh, that's Deshaun Watson. Nope, that's not going to work. <laughs> so they've experienced that before, but they do have to have a defense that's ready for the playoffs. Because your playoff defense will get you through the regular season. But they when they played Clemson in 19 and 20, especially in 19, it was like they played a regular season defense and they got to the playoff and they played a completely different defense against Clemson. It was like, oh, now there's two deep safeties. You haven't had a second deep safety on a snap all year. And now you're asking the guy to do that for the first time against Trevor Lawrence? Why didn't you practice this against Minnesota? You could beat Minnesota with nine safeties or no safeties. Play your Trevor Lawrence defense in October. So we're not going to get a full handle on Jim Knowles right away. Yeah. But I do think it matters. He's going to disguise coverages. He's going to move guys around on the defensive line. He's going to try to confuse offenses. They were too static last year. But the best thing about Jim Knowles, and I double-checked this with him because we had interviews with Ohio State assistant coaches on Friday, is he goes to Ocean City, New Jersey. And that's my place at the shore. And that's his place at the shore. And I'm possibly planning my vacation when Jim Knowles might be there and just show up like at the boardwalk and be like, Jim, what? You're here now. But he's a Philly guy. And I really wanted to know because his sister was tweeting pictures about the shore. And I was like, where do you go at the shore? He was like, Ocean City. I was like, Ocean City is the bomb, man. So I like the guy. Uh, I did not know you were a shore guy. Oh, how did that start? Love the shore. Central Pennsylvania. My family went to Ocean City every summer for a week. <laughs> Just like li- little Dougie, little, little 12 year old exploring the world. How much sunscreen are you wearing? Oh, I'm like, I'm like a shirt in the water guy. But I mean, come on. You, Bob, the people can't see me. You've seen me. <laughs> Boogie boards, pizza, arcades. Ride your bike in the morning. Uh, what is a better existence for a 13-year-old in the 80s than going to the shore? I love Ocean City. So in the end, that's my analysis of Jim Knowles. Genius because he picks a good vacation spot. And he's a shore guy. He's a shore guy. So that, that, that carries a little bit more weight uh, with you. One more for you, Doug, before we let you go. Penn State fans know that the Ohio State wide receiver group is loaded like low did showed up in the draft, the recent draft. It's going to show up in the field with the, the Harrison jr. Kid and Jackson Smith. How do you spell? How in do you Jigba. pronounce that? In Jackson Jigba. Smith and big. Yep. Jackson Smith and Jigba. But did Julian Fleming just make a really, really, really bad decision? Did he listen to the wrong people or Hey, it's not, it's not just him. Alabama got an Ohio State reject was Jamison Williams, and he w- he went pretty high in the draft too. What's the deal with Fleming, and what's the deal with those Ohio State receivers in general? So we are looking at probably four guys playing this year. So Jackson Smith and Jigba is arguably the best receiver in college football. He'll play in the slot, and then three guys for the two outside slots. Marvin Harrison Jr., Philly guy, son of the Hall of Famer. 
Emekeg Buka was the number one receiver recruit in the country from Seattle. And then Julian Fleming is in that mix. Julian Fleming's a year older than those two, but he's in that mix. Julian Fleming's been hurt for two years. That's mostly it. Shoulder stuff, just not, like hasn't been able to be healthy. But in talking to people around the program, you know, when you're on the record, of course, you're going to say all the right things or whatever. But like, just like the, hey, you know, the, hey, what's up stuff is still they believe in this kid. And they think there is a big time ceiling still on Julian Fleming as a physical, big outside receiver. We use a comparison here a lot. We The Marshawn Lattimore. We're always looking for the next Marshawn Lattimore. Marshawn Lattimore came to Ohio State as a top 50 national recruit from Cleveland. His hamstrings didn't function for his first two years here. He could not get on the field. I was like, what's the deal with this guy? Is he good? Is he injured? Is he there's something wrong with him? His junior year, he was a first-team All-American. He left for the pros, got picked in the first round, and was the defensive rookie of the year in the NFL. He went from doing nothing at Ohio State for two years, and his next two years of football were first-team All-American, defensive rookie of the year in the NFL. That's on the table for Julian Fleming because he's been so banged up. If he's healthy, he's right there. He's not Jackson Smith and Jigba, but he's right there with Harrison Jr. and Buka. So we've had a lot of discussions about, like, do you kind of have to not count on this guy and figure anything he does as a bonus at this point? And they're not, they really are not at that point. They still believe it. And coming from a system in high school where they didn't throw the ball a lot, he was going to have, he and Jackson Smith and Jigba are the same class. They're both third year guys right now. Jackson Smith and Jigba is the second all time leading re- receiver in the history of Texas high school football. Jackson Smith and Jigba was catching like 18 balls a game in Texas, and Julian Fleming was blocking for a wing T offense <laughs> in Pennsylvania right. and catching three balls a game. So he, even though Fleming was ranked higher, Fleming was the number one receiver. Smith and Jigba was the number eight receiver. The developmental paths, Jackson Smith and Jigba had so much more football. So it's not a shock. Now, the gap here is pretty wide, but it's not a shock that Julian Fleming developed a little slower. The injuries have slowed him down. He didn't play in the spring game because of an injury. We were like, let's see this guy in the spring game. Didn't play injury. So it's frustrating more than anything else, but I would not bail. But at some point, Bob, I am of the mindset of it's great to be in a super competitive room. Maybe go somewhere where you'd be the best guy. And they are really bumping up against that ceiling in the Ohio State receiver room now. Brian Hartline's been able to balance it really well. But yeah, I mean, he picked it. He picked to come here. And most programs don't have a Jackson Smith and Jigba. And he does. But Jackson Smith and Jigba shouldn't prevent Julian Fleming from getting on the field. And then I also want to talk about Caden Saunders before we go, because I want to give your Penn State audience a, a, a scouting yeah, report. I would love that. You know, because your your daughter, is it your daughter, high school? Yeah, they go to the same high school. So Caden is obviously gone, but they go to the same high school here in the Columbus suburbs. They're both seniors. I mean, I've watched every game Caden Saunders played this year because I went to every Friday night football game. My younger daughter's in the band. My older daughter. Like What's the instrument? Uh, clarinet. Clarinet. She's really good. Good. She's a really good tone. I always like to do. I won't do it on the pop. <laughs> I always think that I can make my throat sound like a clarinet. <laughs> uh, that's not my best. So anyway, Caden Saunders <laughs> is one of those guys. It's always one of those things. Sometimes you hear about like, oh, why did you play high school quarterback? And it's like, well, I was the best player on the team or whatever. They reached a point this year 
his junior year, he put up big stats. He had a good quarterback who plays like the Division Three ball, but like a real guy who was all conference. They had no quarterback on his team this year. They could not get him the ball. They eventually benched the quarterback and went with the uh, underclassmen. But they were playing Caden Saunders at quarterback sometimes because they could not throw him an eight-yard out otherwise. This guy, if I don't know what his final stats were, I know they weren't as good as his junior year. He did everything he could do. There were days when he there were games when he just lined up and there were two guys standing right in front of him and he would look over at a quarterback who was like, "Well, I know that guy can't throw me the ball." And that would be his route. His route was there are two guys on me and a quarterback who can't throw a 10-yard out. That was his existence. They started putting him at quarterback now he'd have nine guys on him. He scored touchdowns, wiggling through the defense when everybody he threw a little bit. He ran a lot. It was a really weird year for him, and he busted his butt to do whatever he could to try to help an undermanned, not great high school team win when everybody in the state knew when you play those guys, triple team Caden Saunders. I would have gotten really frustrated by it. I thought he was really good in handling his business. And I, th- you can see he's got some special wiggle. He's got some special acceleration. I talked to him a little bit about like, hey, man, like KJ Hamler kind of stuff. Like that feels real. And obviously you guys have too. My daughter always gets embarrassed because I'm the kind of guy who will go up and like get right in the face of somebody and talk to a young man about why he's – has such a future ahead of him and congratulations on all the work he's put in. And my daughter's like, dad, can you leave Caden alone? And I was like, I just want to tell him that I think he has a great future and I'm excited for him to go to Penn state. And Caden's like, who is this lame old man? I'm just trying to get popcorn at a basketball game. So I apologize to Caden, but I did tell him that he's a great young kid. I think he has a lot of talent. Ohio state has gone away from the smaller slot receivers. Jalen Gill, was an Ohio State recruit five or six years ago from the same high school, right at the end of the Urban Meyer era, never worked at Ohio State, transferred to Boston College. If Urban Meyer was still the Ohio State's head coach, he would have thrown his body in front of James Franklin to make sure Caden Saunders didn't get out. It's just not the type of receiver that Ohio State's looking for right now. But I believe in Caden Saunders. I think he's going to be really good. I love the Caden Saunders scouting report, and that was some good detail, the fact that he was really – kind of not offensive island by himself. So that would explain maybe if there was a little dip in those numbers. I'm excited to see him play. Doug, before we let you go, I have to ask you, because of your passion uh, about about the beach, give me, give me your three favorite beach boardwalk uh, foods or drinks. When you're going to the beach for a week, give me the top three things that you're going to consume in a, in a seven-day span and, and not care about the caloric intake. So I'll try to keep it to three. <laughs> so I'm going to go top. Number one, I it's possible. Everybody thinks about their death row meal, right? You're on a desert island and you can only take three meals with you? Yeah. I always think about because like I'm capable of murder. I could murder somebody. So like if I do murder somebody someday, then this is the meal that this I want. This is being recorded. No, no, no. I mean, I mean people know that. I, I'm a suspect right away anyway. If I don't like somebody, it's like that guy. Mac Manco Pizza. Okay. Mac Manco pizza. Okay, that's a brand. Okay, I thought you were talking about macaroni and cheese pizza. I'm like, what? No, 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 no. It is. It's now called Manco and Manco because Mac and Manco had a falling out, I believe. 
M A N C O. All right, I'm gonna look it up the minute I get off this podcast. I, I have a T-shirt. I have a T-shirt from that place. It's very specific. It's very saucy. They put the cheese on first, the sauce on Ooh. second. I eat 80 slices when I'm there in a week, and I'm not even joking. So that's number one. Number two is birch beer on draft. So I'm also diabetic, which is probably not a great thing to divulge as I talk about 80, eating 80 slices of pizza in a week. So the diet birch beer is hard to find, but there's a place on the boardwalk they have birch beer, nectar of the gods, my favorite beverage to consume in the world. You don't find a lot of birch beer in Ohio. <laughs> Pennsylvania, birch beer capital yep. of the world, but they have the diet birch beer at the one boardwalk stop on tap. Huge that. And then Coors, frozen custard. Um, it's just the, you know, the boardwalk ice cream place, soft serve ice cream, tremendous K-O-H-R. But I could go Johnson's caramel popcorn to get a big bucket. It's piping hot. But then you get attacked by the seagulls. You got to make sure you don't get attacked by the seagulls when you get the, the caramel popcorn. Monkey bread for breakfast. That's great. The bashful banana, they grind up bananas and make cold bananas taste like ice cream and they put it on top of waffles. Bob, let's go. You want to go to the shore with me? Me, you, Jim Knowles. We're hanging out. You don't get cheated when you go to the when you go to the shore. I love I love somebody who embraces a vacation. It sounds like uh you're all about it. I love it. I love it. And then I ride my I, then you ride your bike in the morning and work off the yeah, calories. You burn, you burn ten or fifteen calories and you put eight hundred on. <laughs> That's my math. You you understand how my math works, Bob. Doug Lamarice, you're fantastic. Uh, hopefully, we'll have you on here again as the season gets closer. Just remember, Buckeye Talk, College Football Survivor, two podcasts with Doug as the star, as right and rightly so. You can find him on Cleveland.com and all the other Doug. It's all the other spots like Spotify, all those all those places, Stitcher. Yes, it's it's can't miss. Yep, stuff. we're everywhere. Can't miss stuff. Thanks so much for your time. I'll tell Dave Jones you asked about him. All right, Doug, you take care. Penn State fans, we'll be back next week with Dangerous Dave Jones. This has been the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. <laughs>